Here's the definition I'm going to use to describe this problem area that all of us deal with. Demonic oppression represents the pressure exerted by demons to get us to sin or to keep us bound in limitations. I'll say that again. Demonic oppression represents the pressure exerted by demons to get us to sin or to keep us bound in limitations. And as I've been sharing uh, over these last several weeks that the way demons usually gain access to oppress us is through open doors in our heart. And those open doors constitute generational sin, ungodly beliefs that we have, our um, hurts, those traumatic moments we experience in life, and most of all, our own sin. Now, Acts 10, 38 is a powerful picture of Jesus Christ. And it tells us that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And when we look through all throughout the New Testament, we see that really Jesus, he did do much, much, much good in bringing deliverance to those who were oppressed by demons. In fact, if we uh, go back to the, to the last, um, the scripture I used in our, uh, when we were talking about uh, soul and spirit hurts in Isaiah 61, we see Christ's deliverance ministry in there as well. Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 1, it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, that's the trauma, the spirit, soul stuff, proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. This is Jesus Christ's deliverance ministry statement. Releasing us from darkness is a major part of Jesus' work in every single one of our lives. Major work. And now it is our responsibility to carry on this mission of releasing more and more and more people from their darkness. Does anybody agree with that? Mark chapter 16, 
In verse 17, it says, these signs, everybody say, these signs will accompany me. These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and guess what? They get well. Amen. Jesus says in Luke chapter 10 and verse 19, he says, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all of the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. All the power of the enemy. Not just headaches. Not just bad hair days. Jesus has given every one of us the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. Ever since Jesus ascended into heaven, we, the church, have had the mission of bringing deliverance to all who are oppressed by the devil. Unfortunately, We, the church, have been negligent in our mission due to unbelief. Due to fear. Due to immaturity. Due to a lack of knowledge and revelation. But God wants us to come into maturity regarding Satan and his demons. God is looking for us to become an army. Not just a nursery, because he wants us on the earth to enforce the victory that Jesus won over the kingdom of darkness. And God needs us to grow in faith and maturity to appropriate his freedom by casting out demons. In fact, if you you study the ministry of Jesus in the Gospels, almost one-fourth of what he did was dealing with demons. That's staggering to me. Now, I know, I know all about the immaturity of deliverance ministry in decades past. I know all about it. But that does not give us an excuse to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. 
The fact remains that we cannot be serious about helping people achieve freedom while at the same time ignoring the existence and influence of demons. Did you hear what I said? I'm going to say it again. We cannot be serious about helping people achieve freedom while at the same time ignoring the existence and the influence of demons. So before I just launch into the how do we get free from demonic oppression, I I really want to lay a foundation on demons. And I know that, and I've heard this from leaders, I've heard it from lots of different places, you know. Don't talk about the bad, just talk about the good. I get that, you know. Paint a picture of how we're supposed to live free. I get it. We do that. I talk about it all the time. But you know, Jesus taught about Satan. Jesus taught about demons. Paul taught about the kingdom of darkness. Peter taught about the kingdom of darkness. I can only hope to one day to be as great of a preacher and a deliverer of the truth as those guys. So that's why I'm going to talk about it today. Not to glorify it, not to uh, put fear in our hearts about it, I am here to just educate us because we do have to know our enemy. There is no army on the face of the earth that wins wars and they have no clue about what their enemy does. And again, I'll say this, unfortunately, when it comes to our understanding of demons, Most of what we think we know about demons is actually learned not from the Bible, but from Hollywood. Now, here's the problem with an education on demonology from Hollywood. See, the problem is is that demons and darkness, witchcraft, ghosts, the occult, and most of the time, Satan is glorified in Hollywood. Yes, I know that, you know, many times good triumphs over evil. You know, the good guy wins at the end, right? But most scary movies, most horror movies, spend about 90 to 95% of the time glorifying the power of darkness and instilling fear into your heart. And even when it comes to all the deliverance movies, the exorcisms, you know, we see even more ridiculous displays of satanic power over the pathetic attempt of the weak and powerless religious 
figure, you know, fumbling through the exorcism and of this person and, you know, the last exorcism of that person and, you know, the fourth exorcism of Michael Myers on Friday 13th at the house on Haunted Hill down on Elm Street. Four movie references in that one. And so we, we indulge ourselves in horror movies that glorify and exalt the spirit of fear and the power of darkness, and that has become our education. That has been our revelation of demons and the kingdom of darkness, leaving us full of fear and a little skeptical as to maybe even do demons really even exist. You know, our other challenge is that we in America have become a people who only seeing is believing. We believe truth has to be provable through visible, repeatable outcome for it to be accepted as real truth. And anything that's invisible is discounted as unreal. For most Christians, you know, accepting the reality of, of demons is, is a lot like accepting the reality of divine physical healing. It's hard for us to believe until we finally experience it ourselves. Once it's been seen in a friend or, or experienced personally, then at that point is when our doubt finally starts to go away. Because we now know it's true. I've seen it with my eyes. My eyes are open now. Watched Joel from paralyzed kid to he's walking again. How many of us believed that the lame could walk before that? So I want to look at some terms in the Bible. All through the Bible, the supreme enemy of God and God's people is a fallen angel named Satan. Now, Satan in the Bible was formerly known as Lucifer, but we'll get into that in just a moment. But Satan is the name given to the archangel Lucifer. And the word Satan in the Greek literally means adversary. So when we read or say Satan... We're declaring his true nature as our adversary. He is an adversary to God. He is an adversary to God's people. In other parts of scripture, he's called the devil. He's given the name devil. 
Devil in the Greek literally means accuser. So when we say devil, we're stating again his true nature as the accuser. He accuses us before God, the Bible tells us. He accuses God to us more than we ever know. And another favorite ploy of his is he loves to accuse you against me and me against you. He is a busy critter. His very nature is adversary. His very nature is accuser. Now, other names in Scripture associated with Satan uh, are things like uh, serpent or evil one, Beelzebub, uh, Abandon, you know, Belial. Lots of different ways that he's described throughout the Word of God. Now, as we move on to the next group of bad guys... The next group are what the Bible calls demons. And in the Greek language, demon means evil spirit or unclean spirit. Demon means in the Greek language, evil spirit or unclean spirit. Now, for I don't know how many of you are familiar with who uh, Derek Prince is. Good. I'm glad three of you do. He is a father. Really, he's a pioneer in deliverance ministry. Back in the 60s, God was showing him how to free people from darkness. And so... Through all of his many, many decades of experience in deliverance ministry, Derek Prince created his own uh, definition of, of, of what a demon is. And I'll share that with you if you want to write it down. Go ahead. Derek Prince, his definition of a demon is an invisible spiritual entity It has a mind, emotions, and wills of their own in league with and under the control of Satan. I'll read that again. Derek Prince's definition of, of a demon is an, as an invisible spiritual entity with a mind, emotions, and a will of their own in league with and under the control of Satan. 
And these demons are out to do Satan's bidding to torment us, the people of God. And when you take the word demon and you break it down into its parts, the prefix, which is D, D-E, means to distort, to deceive, to take away from, or detract from. To take away from one, to detract from one. The suffix mon, M-O-N, means an entity or, or one. That's all it means. So when we put demon together, we get to deceive one, to distort one, to take away from one, to detract from one, which are literally all things that demons do. That's their job. That's what they're out to do, to take from you, to detract from you, to distort things to you. So let's talk about some origins. In the Bible, we literally have a record of Satan's fall in Ezekiel chapter 28. And I'm just going to read through it. Ezekiel chapter 28, starting in verse 12. Get that on the screen here in just a second. There we go. Verse 12, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardius, the topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. This is why we know Lucifer to be the angel over worship in heaven. He literally had built into him the ability to produce sound and music. That's a side note. We won't go off. Verse 14. You were the anointed cherub who covers, and I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. Man, this is some real serious imagery of the place that Lucifer had in heaven. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. And by the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. And I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. 
and you corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. And I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading. Therefore, I brought fire from your midst. It devoured you. And I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who knew you among the peoples are astonished at you. You have become a horror and shall be no more forever. Now, there's a confirming text in Isaiah chapter 14. Starting in verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven and I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, is this the man who made the whole earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of his prisoners? Another proof scripture we can look to is in Revelation chapter 12. Starting in verse 3, it says, Another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now in verse 4 in that passage, it says that a third of the stars of heaven were thrown to the earth. This is a metaphor concerning a third of the angels who were thrown to the earth along with Satan. Now, it is commonly believed that Lucifer was an archangel 
right along with Gabriel and Michael. And it seems to reason that since the Bible only references three archangels, that each archangel would command a third of the angels in heaven. Now, our last confirming passage, Luke chapter 10, verse 17, says this. It says, 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So we've just read how Lucifer became Satan and that a third of the angels fell with him. But the question you might have is, well, what are demons? And where did they come from? Well, throughout all biblical scholarly Ness, we'll call it ness, scholarliness, yes. There are really two theories concerning uh, the origin of demons. The first one is that demons are some of the fallen angels associated with Satan and his rebellion against God. That's, that's one theory. The second theory is this. That demons are the disembodied spirits of a pre-Adamic race that perished under some judgment of God that's not recorded in detail in Scripture. Now, again, listen to me. I'm calling these theories, okay? And they are the main theories held by most biblical scholars. Unfortunately, nothing in the Bible talks specifically and directly about the origin of demons. They are just discussed as if it was um, obvious to the reader what they are. Now, in my personal opinion on this matter, I tend to lean toward the second theory of disembodied spirits, okay? Now, listen, again, I'm not requiring you to take that position. I'm not telling you it is absolute truth. I am just sharing my thoughts on this matter, okay? And I say that because I don't believe that Scripture provides us with sufficient evidence to say with certainty which theory, if either, is even the correct theory. But here's why I'm leaning towards disembodied spirits, okay? It seems hard to believe that demons are fallen angels because the Bible teaches in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, that even demons have, or uh, even fallen angels have, have maintained their dwelling place somewhere what the Bible calls heavenly places, okay? 
although they're not in the third heaven, which the Bible talks about is where God dwells. But Ephesians tells us that they, they're, they're there in the heavenlies. So it doesn't seem scriptural to me to represent angels as operating uh, continually on the plane of the earth. Okay? Demons, on the other hand, appear, from what Scripture shows us, to be earthbound creatures. Let's look at Luke chapter 10 again. Verse 17, it says, The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So, as the disciples come back and they're celebrating uh, from their demon-busting ministry that they just went on, Jesus makes reference uh, to the fallen nature of Satan, and then he gives us a metaphor of what demons are like. And the metaphor was what? Snakes and scorpions. Now, snakes and scorpions are earthbound creatures. They don't fly, at least not in real life. And another scripture that I believe that supports that that demons are not angels is in Matthew chapter 12. Starting in verse 43, it says, When an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. And that is how it will be with this wicked generation. So when you study scripture, you, you, you read that really nowhere do we see an angel longing and looking for a human body to inhabit? It seems to me that demons need a human or even an animal host to have its expression. You still with me? I know you're all thinking deeply. That's why you're quiet, right? You're pondering this mystery. So, so based on that, my, my theory that I lean towards is that they're disembodied spirits, okay? Now, to be fair to the first theory, that demons are fallen angels that enter people, I can only point to two passages of scripture, and in both passages, 
of Scripture, it involves only Satan himself, okay? Luke chapter 22, in verse 1, it says, Now the feast of unleavened bread, called the Passover, was approaching. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. The second scripture that we can look to is in Acts chapter 5 and verse 3. Peter said to Ananias, How is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Okay. Now, in the passage here in, in Acts chapter 5 verse 3, um, it says that Satan filled the heart of Ananias and Sapphira. Now, the word filled in that passage there in, in Acts 5 is the Greek word, uh, eplerosin, okay? And in this context right here, it has the idea of control or influence, instead of a literal filling of the person, okay? So I'm just providing that for you. Now in the passage back in Luke that we read, where it says that Satan entered Judas, the word for enter, uh, entered is isercomahi. Isercomahi. And it means to literally go into or to enter in, okay? So, I mean, it literally means Satan put him on like a nasty coat. And... But apart from those two scriptures, we see no other reference of an angel, fallen or heavenly, entering into a person. Unless, of course, you hold the position that a demon is a fallen angel, and then the references are everywhere. <laughs> So I'm not going to debate the origin of demons. Please don't send me any emails about the origins of demons as you go to all the crazy websites out on the fringe of Christendom. I simply just wanted to present with you guys just a couple of theories that are mainly used um, by Bible scholars, okay? The fact is demons do exist. Where they come from, we can't say for sure, but we definitely know Jesus has given us authority to trample them under our feet. Amen? So next week, I'm going to continue. I'm going to teach some more about demonic oppression. So come on back. We're going to get free. Amen? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for Jesus <laughs> who gave his life on a cross, who gave us authority to trample scorpions and snakes, 
to bring freedom from darkness to ourselves and to the world that's dying around us. We praise you for that today, Father, in the name of Jesus. And today, God, I pray that more light and revelation come into our hearts. Lord, as we go after this teaching, as we go after this vitally important part of our commission, our mission on the earth to cast out demons, Father. So today, Lord, I thank you that you are reigniting in our hearts that mission that took up one-fourth of everything Jesus did. So we thank you, God, today for this impartation of light and truth and joy as we go out to the world to trample the enemy under our feet. We love you, Father. We bless you. Together, we say you are good and your mercy endures forever. And everybody says amen. Have a great day. If you need prayer, come on up. The altar team will be here.